What's up, Debbie peoples? It's EK back with another hot episode of the Debbie Dose. Tonight we have a super special guest on at JT Orange, my friend Justin. Justin, how's it going, man? Uh, going well. Uh, pumped to talk to about college football. We've been getting into all the draft. Everybody's doing the NFL draft. And now it's like we're making that next step. Now we're in the Debbie. Everybody's thinking who's the next guy coming next year. And then also I like to get to talk a little CFF, see what guys are coming, what guys are moving, who's going where. Uh, you know, bunch of supplemental drafts coming up. So this is a perfect time of year to start kind of diving into all this stuff. Yeah, and that's why we're doing this. This is the idea. Get get a little bit ahead of the competition. Get all the information out there. Sift through it. Sift through the chaff. Try to find a few, you know, nice nuggets that no one else has. And uh, that's awesome. So please make sure you're following Justin at JT Orange. Justin's got a couple of podcasts on the Fanny Pro, Fantasy Pros Network. Check those out. And, of course, if you're here, please like, subscribe to the show. We need your support. And with that, we are off so justin i think the first school that you did your research on was la tech what's going on at la tech this year yeah so la tech you know a, a big coaching change was last year with sunny uh cumby coming over uh you know a guy was at texas tech tcu a big play offense a guy likes to throw the football so so looking at their quarterbacks and their wide receivers is something i want to always keep an eye on because they're a team that's usually going to put up points and they're going to move the ball a lot so they're a team i always kind of keep an eye out uh so last year you know big issue for them no none of their qbs can stay healthy I mean, they mm-hmm. played everybody all year. They had four different quarterbacks play at least three games last year, uh, and, and that you know really killed anyone for CFF pur- purposes. But we're hoping that fixes this year, hoping that uh, they get one guy that kind of comes in and makes it happen. The guy that I looked at and I think has got the lead coming in is senior quarterback Hank Beckmeyer. He transferred from Boise State. He's a guy that started 12 games in 2021 for Boise State, threw for over 3,000 yards that year, 63% completion, 20 touchdowns. Ended up losing the job, only played uh, four games last year, and then got replaced, and then that that's why he's transferred. Now, a guy obviously been at Boise State, another good system. He's a guy that you want to keep an eye on because uh, he could end up blowing up and having some huge stats at Louisiana Tech. So he's a guy I'm definitely keeping my eye on uh, late in CFF, especially in supplemental drafts where probably no one has him yet on their team. He's a guy I'm, I'm, I'm all over there. Uh, now, one of their best returners, on top of him, obviously, in the transfer role, is Richard sophomore McKees Crosby at running back. 183 carries last year, 918 yards, nine touchdowns, all as a freshman. Now, and that's with a, a struggling passing game with all the injuries at QB. You figure they they clean that up a little bit. Man, this guy's got a chance to really – uh, blow up in his redshirt sophomore year. You know, he's a guy, obviously, as a freshman, most people probably didn't have on their rosters last year, but almost a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns already for what should be an explosive offense. I think he is a sneaky, sneaky pickup for them. Yeah. Crosby actually came up on our uh, late round values for CFF uh, best ball. Uh, you know, as uh, my friend Jake that usually does a show with me brought him up. And he, he was a super stud in high school, just like all world high school producer. And, uh, man, you got to love that production. I want to say he caught some passes, too, last year. Uh, really, really nice. Yeah, he's going pretty early in supplementals, too. I haven't really seen him make it much past, like, fourth, fifth round. It's kind of like as soon as the elite freshmen and uh, the really elite, you know, potential Debbie guys are gone. He's getting, he's going in that range of 
Laquinda Allen and Jaquindon Jackson, and that's mm. boom. Marquise Crosby off the board. Yeah, I think uh, it's just, he's one of the few guys that's young. You know, he's only going to be a sophomore, uh, but also put up a lot of production. So he's one of the few guys you could jump out there and take a guy now that you think he is for sure his best ball, uh, for sure. But in a relative league where you got to play uh, some flex plays, he's one of the few guys that's already shown production uh, and returning to a school. So I think that's what kind of pushes him up. Now, maybe you're in a league where people aren't deep diving as much as you so possibly he'll drop a little bit but he's definitely one of those guys if you are needing some running back help uh, after you jump past those high-end you know freshman sophomore guys that everybody's picking up in the supplemental drafts he's a guy i definitely would be looking at now and what do you think you put him on the big board you think i got like my my, my rb1 for cffb is Rasheen ali from marshall followed by frank Gore, harrison whaley jalen white ladamian webb you like him more or less than ladamian webb I think he's, I, for me right now, he's probably right behind LaDainian Webb. I think he's yeah. got a chance to bop, uh, hop above him, but I, I would take him right behind there. Ali and and Gore are my two fa- two of my favorites. I was all over them last year. I picked them up in, in drafts. Uh, obviously, Ali was a disappointment, ended up sitting out the whole yeah. year in redshirting. Uh, but, you know, the only good thing is he comes back. Should hopefully he's got whatever was off the field issues got taken care of, and he he should be just a stud for Marshall again. And then and Frank Gore Jr. I mean, guy did everything last year for them. Caught passes, run. He played quarterback a decent amount, completed passes and touchdowns for them. Yeah, the guy was the guy was all over the place. And then I mean, you could have maybe snuck him in, and 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 but then the off season. He had that monster bowl game, over 300 yards in that bowl game, set a bunch of records. And anybody who didn't know about him knew about him then. And now he's not going to be a steal this year as people are ready to pick him up everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I'm on him often and early when I can get him in supplementals. Um, my cat is making a mess. <laughs> uh, all right, moving moving on. Or, do you want to put Blockmeyer on the big board? I got Crosby as the RB3 for Debbie too. I mean, I think Frank Gore is probably – at least a day three guy. I think Crosby's yep. has a potential to get more than that. But right now, I think Gore has just done a lot more. Yep, I agree with you. I agree with you for sure on that. All right, so what do you got for wide receivers? I'm going to throw so, my cat out here. Yeah, no problem. So wide receivers, the uh, the biggest guy, you know, the departure that hurts them is Trey Harris. Monster year last year, even with the, the subpar QB play, he had 65 catches, 935 yards, and 10 touchdowns. He was a guy I actually picked up off waivers in one of my C2C leagues. I got him because I was kind of eyeing him, seeing what his production was like. I liked his profile. I ended up getting him with one of my last waiver wire pickups, anticipating that he would really step up big this year mm. and then turn around and, uh, and join the transfer portal. So the, the question is, can he, is this a good transfer for him or not? Now he's going to Ole Miss. Now that should be a, a really good offense. Now, does he get the looks and the productions he had at Louisiana tech? That's going to be the question uh, for me, but he's a guy who might be out there that people maybe didn't get on him early and he still might be out there for a supplemental draft. But yeah, that's the one question with him being at Ole Miss. Does he see as much attention as he did at Louisiana tech? So he's a guy I like, I'm keeping an eye on, on him, but the guys they have coming back uh, another Harris smoke Harris, Smaller guy, if you're in a, in a league that does kick and punt return yards as well, he's this is a guy you want to have on your radar. He had 66 catches, 640 yards, five TDs, so right in that same number as a Trey Harris, but then he also put up 750 yards combined kick punt return yards. So he's a guy that was definitely uh, all over the kick and punt returns. So you add that together, I mean, he's looking at a 14, 1500 yard season with 
uh, double-digit touchdown possibilities. So definitely uh, a guy, best ball, you want to be looking at him, especially if they do the kick and punt return yards. And again, I think with Trey Harris gone, Smoke Harris is going to be the number one option. I In this type of offense, if the quarterback can come in and play the way they want him to and they can run the system they want, man, this guy has the potential for 85 to 100 catches. Yeah, I think that's a good point, too, is I think Bachmeyer is, if nothing else, at least a reliable college quarterback. I mean, he was solid at Boise State, so you'd have to think that it's going to be an upgrade for the system. It's going to be an upgrade for all of these guys, and, you know, these are already some some pretty decent numbers. This yeah, those are my biggest actually... guys. Yeah, the other guy I had on the list that I really liked uh, was sophomore Cyrus Allen. 22 catches, yeah. 500 yards, four touchdowns last year. Again, now that Trey Harris is gone, he steps up. And again, if you looked at those t- Texas Tech systems, they had guys catching the ball all over the place. So if they can bring that system in, Bachmeyer can do, be consistent, and I think he can be, then I think both these guys can definitely be best ball and CFF studs. Now, they're size-wise. I don't know if they've really got much Devi uh, play in them at all, but definitely for C- CFF, I-, I love both of them. I think they're sneaky good uh, for the value where you can get them. Yeah, Cyrus Allen actually has uh, he has height. He's I think he's like six one. He's slender, yep. but I don't think the NFL cares about that that much anymore. I mean, look at this last batch: <laughs> three guys with the A two capital that were like under a buck eighty. You know, I mean, Jordan Addison, Devonta Smith. So I I love, I mean, obviously coming from a data perspective, if a guy breaks out as a freshman, that's pretty cool. Um, You know, he's definitely done that. So, you know, sometimes it fizzles out, but I see see upside here. So Cyrus Allen is, for me, one of my favorite guys to target in the late rounds of supplementals this year. He's not owned in many leagues. Maybe it's nothing, but he's a guy that I just, the profile is a profile Mm -hmm. that could lead to NFL production. Maybe it doesn't, but I think you at least get a good CFF wide receiver for the next three or four years, if not, you know, a potential uh, late round NFL guy. Yeah, I like where your head's at on that. Exactly. I, I agree with you 100%. And, and then you, we've really seen it change with the NFL now with the rules changes, not being able to body up the receivers as much. You know, being a big body wide receiver is not quite as important as it used to be in the NFL. You know, they want these athletic, fast guys out there creating plays, and they've kind of adjusted the rules of that. And you saw teams really willing uh, to take some smaller guys. And I tell you what, if a couple of these guys can hit, in the NFL here in the next year or two, I think it's going to totally change the landscape, you know, cause they've always talked, Hey, guys under 180, they just can never cut it. You know, no matter how athletic they are, they just never make in the NFL. If you can get a guy like Jordan Addison to be elite, you can get a, a, a guy like tank Dell to kind of throw off all that and say, Hey, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm super productive college receiver and he can find a way to be productive in the pros. I think it could change the, the landscape for a lot of these smaller athletic guys that they really can, uh, have a shot at the NFL, and they won't just get ignored because they aren't elite size. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you, man. Uh, it's definitely been a change uh, happening over the past couple of years. So where do you want to throw these guys on the board? Uh, I put Cyrus Allen between Ashton Hawkins, Derwin Burgess for Debbie. Does that sound right to you? Yep, yep, that sounds like a good spot. Potentially more upside, hasn't done that much yet. And then he's much lower for CFF, right? I mean, we don't think he's a 1,000-yard mm-hmm. guy this year, right? So um, maybe somewhere around, I mean, Terrell Vaughn's probably going for eight or 900 yards, I'd think. So maybe, 
maybe in yeah, this range here. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say that range looks about right. Those those guys all feel like they're pretty similar uh, players. So yeah, I yeah. Feel, I feel like that looks like a pretty good spot for him. What about uh, smoke though, smoke could go a couple higher. I, I think I think smoke goes higher for me. I would probably have smoke a little bit more in the Sam Pickney range. Uh, yeah. Probably, I like Pickney a lot. I like uh, uh, I like McCall the quarterback. I think he's I, he's a sneaky guy. I have on a couple teams that I picked last year just because I think he's a good QB, but I also think he has uh, you know really good upside as far as like I think he's one of those sneaky Debbie guys uh, as far as a dude that can get drafted in like the third, fourth round of the NFL draft, and then teams just really fall in love with his you know his middle side and the fact that he just protects the football. The guy does not turn it over. Uh, he's just, he's a guy that I, I got, I, I really want to see what he does this year. I, originally he looked like he was going to transfer and he went back to coastal Carolina. And so mm. I think I, I like the idea that Grayson McCall uh, could really have a breakout season. Cause if he does it again this year, it's, I mean, it's, it's going to be four straight years of him absolutely just producing fantastic numbers and mm. one of the top QB ratings in all of college. Yeah, uh, lost his coach though, right? Coaches. Uh... That's right. So it's gonna be interesting to see what he does with a new staff. Because again, originally I think that's part of why he was gonna transfer, uh, as was the loss of coaching staff, and he decided to come back. Yeah, right, right. So we're interested to see. And then, honestly, that's when, when I was going through the Liberty stuff. Uh, I mean, Liberty's pretty interesting to me now too. Not that Hugh Freeze is a bad coordinator. He certainly has some decent offenses too. But uh, you know, the fella's name that that was from Coastal is definitely the real deal. Uh, okay, so the first team I had here was Jacksonville State and um, no FIU. <laughs> we'll do FIU. Okay. FIU, not a great offense last year. I had up here at the top, yeah, eighteen point one points per game. That is that is death. There's there's very little on this team that you're interested in, and even um, you know one of the storylines last year from FIU for me was the kid that transferred out this year, Tyrese Chambers, right, who I was big on mm-hmm. coming off his, you know, 1,100-yard sophomore season um, and then went for 500 last year in just what was a really bad offense. Uh, you know, younger quarterback, Grayson James. He was somewhat startable. Uh, I mean, I don't think I had him anywhere last year, but 18.5 PPG, it's not great. It's like a desperation, throw it in there. Uh, he does run the ball a little bit. Um, so, I, you know, I think he's worth noting, um, you know, maybe if he improves as a passer, they can get something going there. But, uh, I mean, the short version of FIU for me was pretty much hard pass because there was no one good last year. Uh, no, no running back with over 500 yards. Uh, I just I, – there's nothing here to like. Unless you're projecting a significant step forward – for the quarterback, for the whole system. I think it is second or third year for the coach there too. So you could see, I could see wish casting some improvement onto it, but I didn't really, I didn't really find anything to talk about there. You got anything there? Yeah. I, so I agree with you. FIU, just a down program, you know, the days of T Y Hilton, you know, long gone. And when he was there being super productive, Uh, you know, this is where, when I'm looking at these smaller schools, coaching staffs matter to me. 
They matter mm-hmm. to me big time because I want a guy that's going to throw the ball around. I know I want a guy that has a history of his running backs putting up great numbers. FIU is not that right now. And so I don't want to mess with any of those guys. I'd much, much, much rather take a flyer on a Louisiana Tech guy, uh, you know, some of these other schools in Conference USA that, that put up points. I'd rather take a chance on one of those guys knowing that they're in a good system with a good uh, coach. I just – unless somebody comes out of nowhere in the middle of the year – for FIU, there's probably no chance I'm putting any of these guys on my team unless somebody – and, again, unless they just blow up near the end of the season, I have a waiver wire left to pick up. Maybe I would do something or keep an eye on a guy that's a younger starter that, you know, if he, he does fairly well, maybe I keep an eye for next year. But, yeah, like like you said, I nobody on this team excites me. There's just too many other guys I like, and I'd rather take a guy on a better team. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. I don't think we spend that much time on it. I guess we'll do another one of mine because I had several programs that were weak. Yep. Uh, really, all, all the ones that are coming up from FCS, and if you know if you're watching this, you're probably obsessive enough to know there was a lot of realignments in the college football conferences. Where like I am, like I'm not like a born and bred college football guy. I went to a college where they killed the football program my freshman year. But man, I've gotten really into it the past five or six years playing campus Canton Debbie and all that. But I guess I'm like newer to the coaching staffs and and some of the things that that like you guys that just had been bleeding this for 15 years 20 years 40 years uh you know just just breathe but uh and so jacksonville state uh they do have you know come up that you know fcs into the fbs uh you know one of i think three teams that joined cusa several cusa teams went out to what like big twelve or something? Is that right, JT? Where did they all go? Yeah, there was there was a with everybody kind of departing the West Coast schools and people trying to steal from the Mountain West and people stealing from the Pac twelve and you know the Big Twelve you know started like grabbing teams from the East Coast and kind of all the way. It's just there were just teams that started moving around everywhere and then and so everyone kind of just got into we have to be a mega conference and so you saw a lot of these smaller conferences with like eight teams all decide, oh, well, we got to have 12 or 14 teams as well. And so what happens is you saw, you know, like the teams like Memphis, Cincinnati, some of the old school guys that used to be in Conference USA, they all moved out to join up with like the Big 12. And so Mm -hmm. that – because all those uh, programs started losing people to SEC, started losing people to Big 10, uh, ACC, you know, because, again, for people that don't follow a lot of college football, all these conferences used to be regional. So the whole reason for these conferences was to all be in the same region, traveling, going against people's, you know, boarding you in a state to state. Well, we just mm-hmm. don't live in that world anymore. It's all about the TV dollars. It's all about, you know, the city you're in, what market share they have. And it's about getting as much market share as possible. And that's why you see these teams grabbing, you know, the Big Ten going out and getting USC and UCLA. You're like, why would they want them? Well, they want them because they want the L.A. market. They want the California TV market. That just adds into the money that they can get on the Big Ten network and they can sign with ESPN and, and CBS and all these other guys. So that's kind of what's changed the landscape here for things. So that's where you're seeing a lot of these teams move up to Conference USA because Conference USA got rated. All their best teams moved on. And so now you're seeing some of these smaller teams or independent teams or the ones that used to be FES. They're the ones that are moving up and kind of joining these other conferences like Conference USA. So that's why you see a lot of different teams in this conference compared to what they were in the last two to three years. Yeah, right. So, and Jacksonville State was one of them. And, I mean, it's hard to find a ton of information about these former FCS schools. There's just – you're not going on sports reference and getting stats. Yeah. You, you know, there's not – 
There's not a lot of spring game reports and things like that that I usually like to tap into. Um, but I, I, I will say Jacksonville State was a high-scoring offense last year. And that was the first thing I like to look, right? It's kind of like a cliff note for, hey, how much should I care about what's going on in this? But mm-hmm, absolutely. They averaged 36 and a half points per game last year. I mean, that is that is really good. That would have been like a top 15, top 20 uh, school in and at the uh, you know at the FBS level. Um, but it was only 220 yards a game on the ground. And there was like 170 passing, so mostly a rushing offense. Um, and, and really, for me, the only player I was able to get their stats off their actual website. Uh, the only player that seemed like really someone who's going to be a beast for fantasy football was their quarterback. That's a young man named Zion Webb who accounted for 23 total touchdowns for his team, including eight, uh, I think like 12 of them were on the ground. He rushed for over 800 yards. So he was tied as the leading rusher on his team as a quarterback. Uh, I mean, that is, that's fancy football gold. Uh, I, I couldn't like look up his points for a game on fan tracks because he wasn't up. That's because he was on the FCS, but uh, nonetheless, like you see those numbers out of quarterback and they should raise your eyebrows. Uh, you know, I don't know how good he is a passer. I've never seen the kid play, but uh, sounds like someone that we should certainly pay attention to. Um, if he's back, he was a senior, yep. I, you know, COVID, like, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, there were, I couldn't find anything reliable. It said he was coming back or not. If yeah, he's gone. Go ahead. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, no, I was going to jump in and let you know that this is a big thing right now for, for CFF. And it's the thing that everybody's having to deal with is a lot of these guys got extra years. And so we don't necessarily know if they're going to use the extra years or not. There's a lot of guys that were red shirt seniors that are coming back. There's a lot of them. We still are not official because again, we live in a world like, Hey, we're working 40 hours a week. We're doing our thing. These kids are college kids, and we forget this. They've got all summer to decide if they're going to stay on the program, if they're going to transfer. Some of these guys are in the portal now, and they might not find a spot. So they might end up coming back to their school. So it is a little bit iffy, and it's going to be a little iffy, I would say, until probably August with some of these sp- smaller schools and programs on whether these guys actually come back and play or not. And, it's, and you know, in the past, you just look it up. You're like, hey, he's been there four years. He's gone. Well, that's yeah. not the case with the COVID years. As uh, There's guys that played up to six years, depending on how – how things worked out with the COVID years. So there's a lot of these guys you just don't know. If he comes back because they're moving up and they're a run first team, I like that because of that aspect of his game. Um, you just never know on these teams that are moving up a division how well they're going to translate. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a big thing people got to realize too is this is where schedules come involved in CFF. You, you're not going to sit your stud in NFL just because he's playing a tough team. That's a difference in CFF. You will sit some studs. If they're going out all of a sudden, they're going out and they're playing Alabama week three. You're not playing anybody on Jacksonville State going against Alabama. You're you're just not. So, but but if you're they're playing, you know, later in the season, you could get a team like I'll I'll give you a perfect example. And this is because it's on top of my head. As you can see, my stuff behind me, I'm a Mizzou guy. Mizzou late in the SEC schedule got New Mexico State last year, a team we'll talk about coming up here. They got them late in the year, right when it was around fantasy playoff time. And they scorched them. They scorched them. I played Brady Cook. I played all my Mizzou guys, guys that I was not playing most of the year. I played them because they had a really easy game against a bad defense where all my other guys were playing against, you know, I had CJ Stroud going against Michigan, 
you know, yeah. their stud defense. And you're like, you can't sit CJ Stroud, but I, I didn't sit him, but I, I did, I did get Brady Cook in my lineup because I was like, Brady Cook had come on running the ball, throwing the ball. And I was like, this is a game that they're going to score 45, 50 points, and he's going to be involved. So that's another thing looking at your roster construction, I think, that is always a smart thing to look at is where are some of these teams playing? Who are they playing and when are they playing them? Because mm. some of these uh, some of these smaller school guys, you will not play at all the first half of the season when right. they're going out and just making money for the school by playing huge, uh, you know, F- FCS schools and getting destroyed 66 to seven, <laughs> you know, you're not going to be able to play these guys, but you'll be able to get some production out of them late in the season when they're playing other teams in their conference that are not any good either. And now they're winning 45 to seven. So I think yeah, that's yeah. always something to kind of look at uh, in the scheduling as well. Yeah. You want some balance because you want to play those P five guys in the yep. non-con. <laughs> The G5 guys want to play in the back half when they got the soft schedule. Yeah, man. I like absolutely, it. I like absolutely. that way of thinking. Uh, a good blend on your uh, rosters on here. And so, anyways, if that kid's gone, there was a kid named Aaron McLaughlin who also was the QB2 last year, played a little bit, also mobile, had a couple hundred yards rushing in like only a few appearances. So, probably someone there useful, probably want to like watch list them. I mean, there's just too much uncertainty to spend any kind of real capital on any of these guys, uh, you know, but Webb could be gone. McLaughlin could be terrible. The offense could get shut down, but you know, 36 points per game, probably not going to be completely dismal. Let's hope that, you know, they have enough talent to, you know, have some legs to the next level. Uh, the only other name that popped for me there at all was the uh, lead running back from last year, who is back. His name was Lewis Anwar. He went for 840 yards, eight touchdowns. That's like a flex, right? I mean, it's not, that's probably, 12, 13 points per game. So, you know, it's nothing that you want to really target per se, but, you know, maybe that's a guy that he goes off week one and you're like, I remember that name because, you know, he just put up 20, 22 points in conference play or whatever. And uh, you want to throw him at the back end of your roster. GT, what's next? Uh, who are we just talking about? I we could jump into. Let me jump on my list here. We'll just talk about New Mexico State because I just brought them up uh, getting smoked by Missouri last year. So New Mexico State, uh, uh, again, a little bit like Louisiana Tech. Jerry Kill, old timer. People from the Midwest will know him. He was a huge success at Southern Illinois. Uh, moved on to Northern Illinois, was really good there, and then went on to Minnesota Golden Gophers and, and had a really good run at Minnesota before he had some health issues that made him kind of stop coaching for a while. Then he's kind of worked his way back in. Uh, this is his second year at New Mexico State. They went 7-6 last year as an independent, uh, won the quick lane bowl over Bowling Green. So they saw, you know, Jerry Kill, he's like, for people that don't know him, I mean, he's an old school guy. He's kind of known as a as a builder. He's that program builder. Guys bring him in when they want to like set a foundation and kind of get the program going in the right direction, which he really did last year, making them seven and six and winning a bowl at a at a school that has not been good in football in the past. So for him to do that was pretty impressive. So kind of look through their uh, their lineups, kind of see they're they're the opposite of everyone else. They're not really a running gun. They want to play tough defense. They want to hold the football, but they do have a couple interesting guys on their team. I think the real the number one guy for me is returning quarterback senior Diego Pavia. 
1,450 yards passing, not fantastic, but solid, 13 TDs. He also carried the ball 93 yards for 508 yards and six TDs. It was his first year as a starter coming in uh, as a junior college transfer. So uh, he didn't play all the time. He he got banged up a little bit as sophomore Gavin Frakes was behind him. He threw about 700 yards and four touchdowns, ran for another 150 and two scores. So he's a nice little backup for them. But I think Diego Pavia, his second year in the system, showed some uh you know so show some promise running and throwing the football last year uh he's a guy that definitely if you're getting later uh in your ranks you're getting through the list and you're like hey man i just need to throw one or two quarterbacks on here a guy that i can maybe play in a bye week i could get a guy that if i have an injury he's he's got a shot to put up you know maybe 15 20 fantasy points for me this is a guy i think you know is, is slightly underrated now the schedule is going to be interesting for them because, again, they were that independent last year, and they just started off with a brutal schedule. I mean, they got worked the first, like, four or five weeks of the season. They just got destroyed uh, by top five uh, big five competition. Uh, but then they really came on down the stretch. Uh, and like I said, this Conference USA has been really mixed up. There's a lot of new teams in here. There's going to be a lot of these teams I've never seen each other before as far as, you know, being uh, used to each other. So, in that type of situation, I like a coach like Jerry Kill. A guy's got a ton of experience and kind of knows how to take advantage of those situations. So he's probably the number one guy for me on New Mexico State that I'm kind of keeping an eye out. And the fact that I think he's got a shot to do – I mean, he could do a two, he could do 2,000 yards and close to uh, – 2,000 passing and close to 1,000 rushing yards. And if he could pile up, mm-hmm. you know, 20, anywhere between 25, 30 TDs. He had 19 last year. He can up that to 25 or 30. I think it would be really interesting. Now, the big question for them is going to be – he comes in as the leader, and this is where if you draft later in the year and you kind of – they've gone through spring practice and you have a better idea who's going to be the starter. They did get Eli Stowers, a transfer, a redshirt sophomore transfer from Texas A&M. So now it'll be interesting to see a guy like that from A&M, does he come in and really push the starter? You know, a guy who's a, a fairly decent uh, – I think he was a three-star uh, recruit – so a higher end guy. So a, a transfer in there, you know, if he somehow beats out, uh, beats him out for the the spot, that gives me a little bit of hope. I, I if Stowers ends up starting, just because of, of the pedigree, I think he's a guy that in it could be a really sneaky play. So that's something I want to keep an eye on uh, throughout the summer. And, and again, if I'm drafting later in the year, drafting you know more till mid August, and we kind of know where these things are happening, then that's a guy I want to keep. Uh, keep an eye on for me. Um, other guys for them, couple uh, they they've got a bunch of junior college transfers that have come in the last couple of years, which is not a surprise uh, with Jerry Kill. Is he brought in a lot of junior college guys everywhere else he was at? Uh, their be- their best guy was junior uh, was junior running back Star Thomas, 108 carries, 520 yards, five TDs. Also caught 10 passes for 133 yards and two touchdowns. Again, it was his first year in the system at a Coffeeville Junior College, uh, Community College in Kansas, a really well-known community college uh, in the Midwest. They've produced quite a few studs at the D1 level, and a couple guys have made the pros. So, uh, again, I think those guys having a second year in the system uh, and and also being a slightly easier schedule now that they're actually in Conference USA as opposed to playing an independent schedule, which can be mighty difficult for a small school like them, I think these guys have some upside. Now, you're taking a chance. I mean, they haven't produced a lot so far uh, as only one-year starters out of each of them, but they're, they're two guys that, I mean, I would keep an eye on. Yeah, you want to put um, Star Thomas on the board anywhere? I threw I threw Diego Pavia on ahead of Clay Millen from Colorado State, behind Grant Wilson from Old Dominion. Does that sound mm-hmm. right? 
Yep, that sounds like a good spot for me. And I was so as if I'm looking at running backs right now, I would probably have him um kind of the end see. of this list, I think. Yeah, I would put well, him right at the maybe end. Maybe ahead of Calvin Till, maybe I don't know, Kyrie Robinson. Calvin Hill was that's like an upside play just because Texas State yep. has the new system, right? But wasn't very and, good last year. And again, and the thing with uh Robinson is is the question is whether he wins that job. San Diego State has produced a ton of really good CFF running backs over the last right. decade. So the question has been for them the last couple of years is who is going to be the guy. So mm. it's they, they've had very few seasons where you've gone into the season knowing who the stud running back it, it was going right. to be. But when they've had them, they've been awesome. You know, you had Rashad Penny, uh, uh, Ronnie Hillman. I mean, they've had some absolute studs over the years. Uh, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Pelfrey, Pelfrey, is that right? I'm going to really kick myself when I think about it later. Uh, he was shortly on the Eagles for a while, kind of undersized guy, but just a real uh, stud. Pumphrey, uh, Pumphrey, Pumphrey, yeah. thank you. Don't you know, saved right? me. Yeah. You saved me on that one. Uh, uh, Pumphrey. But so, again, if you can figure out who the guy's going to be for San Diego State, I mean, that's a guy every year in CFF. That's who I'm looking for. I'm looking for a guy on San Diego State because they just really like to run the football. That's just their system there. And, and a lot of times, you know, they'll split carries. But if you find the year that they've got a workhorse, he's a guy that's going to produce. Yeah. Well, when you get an NFL talent on a G5 team, you damn well better hand them the ball 300 times. Well, and that's Uh, been their history going all the way back to Marshall Falk. I mean, Marshall Falk was, I mean, a top, top end recruit, but everybody wanted to play DB and he wanted to run the ball. And so he went to San Diego state and he kind of started that off where, you know, Hey, I can go to a small school if I'm a big name and I can, I can produce. Not only can I produce, I can be in the Heisman Trophy, you know, talk, and I can have an unreal Hall of Fame NFL career. So I think that that kind of helped. He kind of kicked that off for them when we had some guys that said, hey, man, I might be in the mix to fight some guys at another school. I could come here and be the man at San Diego State. And they and we've seen that over the last couple of decades. I love it, man. I love it. Um, looks like the wide receiver room is not – not much going on. Yep, I would I wouldn't get much in the wider series. They are just not going to throw the ball a ton. To, to be honest with you, they threw the ball when they needed to. As you saw, they they had about two thousand yards total as a team passing last year. It, unless some guys come up, they just really didn't have anybody that jumped out at, 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 at for any reason other than I was just going to guess on a guy. I mean, their leading receiver last year had twenty catches for four hundred forty yards and one touchdown. I mean, that was their leading guy, and he he signed briefly in the USFL, uh, Justice Powers, his offseason. The, the guy that the sneaky to me, and again, we talk about pedigree, is Jonathan Brady. Uh, 23 catches, 310 yards, three TDs last year. He's a sophomore at a Bishop, uh, Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. Everybody, you know, Bishop Gorman has produced some absolute studs, some five-star guys, just an unreal program there in Las Vegas. So having a guy like that, that's been around some of these studs on a program like this. He's a guy that if I'm looking at anybody, he's probably the guy I got my eye on. Cause I just think he's a guy that in this system, if they can figure out how to throw the ball more, you know, kicks him up a, a notch or two. Cordell Davis, uh, David is the other guy there. 24 catches, 343 yards, four TDs. Uh, he's a senior. He's our top returner. But, uh, but if I'm looking at a high upside guy, Jonathan Brady is the guy that I'm looking at as a chance to have a breakout. Yeah, love it. Threw him on at the end, kind of as a uh, watch list sort of thing in our, our yep. college football list. I like that. Uh, probably, probably don't need to put any of these guys on the Debbie list, do you think? I don't think so. I, I These guys would have to have a pretty big breakout year to jump on the Debbie yeah. list. Um, and, and again, 
the biggest part for a lot of these guys are they are a lot of them are junior college transfers. So it's, it's, they're really just going to get that one year to try to produce. And if they have a big right. year, you're guessing most of these guys, the best you're looking at would maybe be a sixth, seventh round pick. Most of these yeah. guys are probably looking at undrafted free agent in the NFL. Um, it, most likely anyway. Yeah. I mean, you get the t- Ty J Spears, right. But even then, like, I feel like, uh, was he Tulane? I think it's like a yep. Tulane or Tulsa. Yeah. I think that's almost Tulane. like a, it's like almost a borderline P5 program, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, and, right and he's there. a, and he's a guy that had, that had experience and had been good. So it's not like he just popped in, had one right. season, you know, yeah, he, he had kind of, he kind of proved it. So. Yeah. All right. So now we're getting to what was the meat and potatoes of this conference for me, kind of the, the, the big schools that didn't get poached by, by the bigger conferences. And uh, the first one of those that I had here was Liberty. We talked a little bit about Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze out the door. He's at Auburn now for better or for worse. Um, obviously, he had some nice offenses going at Liberty. And what's coming in is arguably an upgrade that like we talked about earlier. Jamie Chadwell from uh, Chadwell from Coastal was you talk about program builders. He built that program up from, you know, you, you know, this stuff way back more than I do. But I mean, I feel like Coastal wasn't really a thing until Chadwell got there and, and really just, you know, built that program from the inside out. I've listened to him talk a little bit. You know, definitely has a, an interesting philosophy about it. You know, uh, talks a lot about developing the, you know, the, uh, the underappreciated talent was getting, you know, the smaller DLs and, and, and mm-hmm. things like that. And, and really, but kids that wanted to play and, and he was working with them. And man, we've seen him send several people to the NFL now. And like you said, Grayson might be the next Grayson McCall, but yep, already and, uh, had, Isaiah, uh, likely Isaiah likely from, uh, Baltimore Ravens. He was his number one wide out two years ago. So yeah, you're right. This, I mean, and, this run highly before that, you know, but yeah, this, he was yeah, like a seventh pro- round, but mm-hmm. Yep, this program was basically nothing. I mean, I, you could you ask people about Coast Carolina, they're like, who? They have a school? What are you talking about? So he's actually yeah. really done a, a nice job uh, with them. They're actually been a fun team to watch the last couple of years. You can catch them on some of those crazy, uh, you know, CBS Sports uh, net channels and some of those side ones. The like Green random, Field. <laughs> yeah, at random times. And I've watched quite a few of their games over the last couple of years. They're, they've actually been an exciting team and, uh, you know, It'd be interesting to see what he can do at Liberty. As you've seen, Liberty has had some decent talent, like Malik Willis the last couple of years. They've had uh, been able to get some nice transfers in. So that's a team to, to watch for sure to see what kind of production they can put up there. Yeah, so I think Liberty is – there's opportunity here to, to, to find some gems. The problem is we don't really know who is going to be at any of these positions. I mean, the, the returning quarterback that was QB1 last year – Jonathan Bennett beat out Kaiden, Kaiden Salter for the job. Salter's more interesting because he's mobile, more mobile. Uh, he actually had a higher points per game last year when he was playing, but just didn't get the line share of the reps. Uh, the spring game this year it was the same thing. Bennett was QB1. Sider was, was, was QB2. So I don't expect that to change per se. Good. We never know, but I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to spend significant money on Salter. You know, maybe maybe uh, you know something more minor. Uh, but you know, I, I don't think you can, you know, put too many chips on, on, on that square. And then at running back, Day Day Hunter was phenomenal last year. It was phenomenal at Hawaii before that. Uh, dual threat. He's out the door. No destination yet in the portal. Does he come back? Maybe, but I just I don't know. I mean, it's May, and I don't know where the kid's landing. So I think that sometimes they wind up coming back, but um, you know, until I hear otherwise, I'm assuming he's gone. 
which leaves us with a big void. And there was not a ton from the spring game that I could really glean uh, about the running backs. Again, tough to find a, a ton of great information about these. I did find a beat writer that described their true freshman, Vaughn Blue, as the as a, the potential starter. And actually listed him first. And, you know, in the way they list the, the order of the guys and the order they think they're going to play. Uh, listed him first over two players that were... Uh, you know, been in the program longer. One of them was Quentin Cooley, who he kind of referenced as, you know, the 1B to uh, Vaughn Blue's 1A. And then there's a, a redshirt junior that I found somewhere else whose name I didn't get in here, who also was potentially vying for us. But for me, that three-star coming in and maybe seizing the bull by the horns immediately, that's an exciting player, you know? If he can come mm-hmm. in and, and, and steal the reps from two kids who are older, bigger, and stronger than him – that's a guy that, you know, maybe could be a thing, you know, something like Marty Crosby was last year, um, you know, maybe be something similar in this. And the running backs in Coastal's offense, uh, there were some good ones. There was a little kid that uh, he was a right late round pick a few years back. I always forget his name. He was super fun to watch in, in college. It's just like a little pinball bouncing around the field. Um, but he was a super producer. Uh, they definitely used their, their running backs as a dual threat. Uh, called well, Chadwell does. He likes to he likes to throw to them. So I think there's potential for something to happen here. And if I'm taking a shot, I'm taking a shot on Vaughn Blue. In fact, I'm looking at him right now. Like, do I have room to squeeze him onto the end of my supplementals, or do I just like watch list him and, and try to remember the name uh, for waivers? Uh, a lot of my leagues, there's only a couple waiver claims a year, which I hate. I want open waivers everywhere. <laughs> What's the fun of watching the football if you can't pick yeah. the guys up after? But uh, some of the more uh, uh, conservative elements in Campus Canton world uh, aren't on that same page. But uh, what do you think? I I like what your where your head's at here. I really do. Um, th- these these are where I'm willing to take late round picks on young guys, smaller schools where they have a shot to kind of beat out some older guys, and you have a shot to get a couple years worth of production from them. So, uh, you know, Georgia Southern, Coastal Carolina, Liberty, these are the type of schools where if they've got a guy that's flashing or they get kind of a higher end recruit as a running back or wide receiver, I'm willing to take a shot on that guy late. If he never gives me anything, then he doesn't. It just, it, you know, it, it's okay. But if, man, if that guy pops and you got him late, that it's just, it's a huge boom. And, you know, look at, you've got to look at a lot of rosters. I mean, everybody's different. Uh, most of the leagues that I'm in are, you know, C2C or CFF are anywhere from 40 to 50 players. You never play that many guys. So you're always going to have some freshmen and some sophomores that are just sitting on your bench waiting. I'm rather taking a guy and sitting one of those guys there that has a shot to hit. If he doesn't hit, it's not the end of the world for me. But if he does, like I said, it, it's it's a big boom. And that's the kind of guy I would be looking for. Now, if you have a league with more waivers, this is a team I'd have my eye all over at the beginning of the season. Because, again, like you said, new coach, you know, some new players coming in. You don't know exactly who's going to be the guys that he likes. You know, everybody's starting fresh. So I, you, this is a team that I could see a couple games in, certain guys just popping. And you're like, oh, that's going to be the man for them. And, and you could pick them up. Now, again, I'm in most of my leagues are the same as yours. I only get four or five waiver claims a season. So you got to be very careful about how you use those. Um, but if, if I'm in that case, I'm, I'm watching Liberty early on and seeing if any of these guys pop. Uh, but like you said, blue, that's a guy I'm willing to take a late flyer on and just put him on my roster and see if he hits. 
I threw him at the end of our, uh, you know, running back rankings for CFF. Maybe a guy that could go on my Debbie watch list for next year if he blows up. But he's undersized. He's 5'10", 180. Those guys don't get up much above, you know, 190s, 195. But, again, we're talking about the, the sea change in the NFL. It's size. Man, we had two running backs with significant draft capital this year that were under buck ninety five, And that is – that's different. <laughs> Yeah, people, yeah. people are going for speed. People want to spread things out. They want to get guys in space, uh, and they want to use that athletic ability. And, and again, we've seen the rule changes where the NFL is, is kind of starting to accept this and say, hey, we want to be a scoring league. We want the excitement. We they, They're starting to finally realize how important fantasy is to their game. And the more points that they put up in the NFL, the more the points they put up in fantasy, the happier everybody is. And so yeah. I think, you know, those things, I think, definitely make a difference. And frankly, more guys like me uh, that aren't like born and bred fans of a team want to like buy gear, buy jerseys. Like how many people bought bought Austin Eckler jerseys in the past five, you know, three yep. years that like aren't even from, you know, L.A. or San Diego or whatever. Right. Like that just just have nothing to do with the team. But uh, love Austin Eckler, the player, yeah. because the personality, because he's, you know, he's a fantasy guy. He's a fun guy. He's in the community. He's, you know, he's, he's in the media. Um, you know, I'm a good great for the game for sure. Yeah. I mean, I've been a guy, I've, I've been a Jersey guy my whole life. If you ask people, they make fun of me in high school. I had the most random jerseys of all time. Cause I just liked players. I just like players. I like teams. And actually I saw uh, a post Quinshot Judkins had the other day of his Jersey. I was a number four in high school. He got his number four light blue old Miss Jersey. And I was like, Oh, Oh, I might buy that. I was like, I'm not an old Miss guy, but I like him a ton. And his number four oh, is that yeah. cool light blue color. I'm like, I was like, that one might be on the wish uh, wish list for Christmas. I might have to talk the girlfriend into buying that one for me because yeah. uh, I was like, I was like, that jersey is so cool. Um, and I'm not an old Miss guy by any means, but I like him. And I think the jersey's awesome. So again, I think all those things matter, and they all keep the interest in football alive, which is you know all that is is good in my mind. Yeah, I'm with you. Judkins is, uh, man, he's a force. He's going to be a, you know, early day two pick in the NFL without a doubt, uh, if not better than that. I don't think he catches the ball enough to really be first first round pick. But um, so a couple more guys here at Liberty that I thought were worth talking about uh, uh, on the out from last year: Demario Douglas on the New England Patriots right now got himself a you know, seventh, sixth round draft pick, something like that. Uh, he ran out of the slot there last year. I don't know if it matters because Caldwell's up. Chadwell's obviously going to do his own thing. But, you know, he went for almost 1,000 yards, six touchdowns, and there was just no one else close to him in terms of production. Um, you know, while listening to some beats, uh, reading some beats, what they had to say about it, there was um, a kid named Reese Smith that was a redshirt junior that could lead the team in receptions. That means it's a useful, I don't know, I'll pay attention to him. And then there was a redshirt freshman, um, Kyle Austin, that got a name drop too in that same conversation as, you know, people who could be the uh, leading wide receiver for Liberty this year. That perks my ears up. I think like you, I'm more interested in the redshirt freshman that could have this big rise than the redshirt junior that's going to get 750, 800 yards and, you know, and maybe not be, in college again next year. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I think there's going to be someone interesting there. Like we, you know, talked about, uh, you know, likely highlight uh, there's been productive wide receivers in this offense. How much of that's McCall, how much of that's Chadwell. 
I don't know. I guess we're going to find out. Yeah, I agree there. Again, I think, you know, if they can get a slot receiver or a bigger tight end, you've seen that he can produce with those guys. So it's it's definitely going to be a wait-and-see season with him his first year at Liberty. I think we're going to see a lot more of we're going to know who to go for next year uh, after mm. he's had a year to kind of see where these guys are at and and who's gonna, who he kind of favors. But that's always a tough thing with college football. I mean, it's not like the NFL where you almost always just play the guy that's the best guy no matter what. In college, it's does the guy know the system? Does he understand what you're wanting him to do? Mm-hmm. And and then and you can get guys that maybe aren't, you know, athletically as talented as some other guys. And those guys could be your studs because college coaches just trust them more. And I think that's a big difference at the college level than the pro level, especially when you're talking about these smaller colleges. Um, you know, you're gonna have a lot of guys that are all kind of pretty similar and athletic ability pretty similar in star rating, whether they're rated at all or whether like a one, two, or three star. So there's no like, hey, like I gotta play this guy because he's a big name. It's not a lot of that. So you got to go with the guy that coaches trust the most. Yeah, no, I am with you on that. And then the only other name I had there, just a quick drop, was Benson Bentley Hanshaw, who was their leading tight end last year. Again, if he wants to feature someone in that power slot, move tight end type role, it could be this guy. Yeah, no one I'm spending capital on now, but someone I'm going to keep an eye on in a room that has no proven performers. You know, I'm going to pay attention, like you said, and try to see who the next thing is. Yeah, and especially at these smaller schools where, you know, tight end is always kind of a tough position to find at the college level sometimes, getting any kind of production. So it's I think it's always smart to kind of keep an eye out on a guy, uh, you know, at some of these smaller schools. I think you can get, some better production. I, I Arkansas State uh was Satori. Is that his yeah, name? Tri- tri- so, tri- yeah, yeah, Triori. Yeah, Triori. So like he was a guy last year I picked up off a waiver wire move. Uh he ended up having a really solid year. I was loaded at tight end in my league last year. I had uh Brock Bowers, I had Peyton Durham. I so uh Payne Durham. So I had um some studs. So I ended up trading him away and got some pretty good return for him uh you know obviously you see he's transferring to colorado with a chance to be Uh, a stud at colorado this year actually transferred back or didn't transfer back but left colorado and went back in the portal is he back in the okay so good i'm glad you caught me on that one because i had not seen that he is he's back in the portal so yeah just people are speculating but it was speculated that he realized he was probably going to be in a committee there didn't want to be in a committee wants to be a featured guy somewhere. So maybe he goes back to a G5 school, but I'm watching that closely because that's a guy that's a difference maker for your team in the right system at the right level of competition. I don't want him to go to Michigan to be a backup, right? I want him to go to like explosive G5 offense. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you put that guy on like a Louisiana tech, you put that guy at middle Tennessee state, you put him at Liberty, you know, one of these schools, you know, People probably didn't get him last year unless they picked him up off of a waiver. So get him. He's a, he's going to be a guy, depending on where he lands, he might be a really nice spot uh, pickup for you uh, in a draft because maybe you don't have much tight end production. He could be a guy that comes in and starts every week for you. Yeah. Right on. So I think back to your last school, let's knock it out. Let me find him on my list here. I'm, I'm swinging through. Sorry about yeah. that. Oh, here we go. Middle Tennessee State, the old Blue Raiders here. So, uh, you know, they're one of those, you know, we always talk about all the new coaches, people moving around. They're one of the standstill teams that are always there. Rick Stockstill, been there 18 years. The, the guy is just 
you know, he's brought a lot of consistency to a smaller program like that. Uh, and, and they've just been able to turn out some solid guys. So Chase Cunningham, uh, they lose him at quarterback, been there for a while. Uh, you know, he had, some, you know, had some injuries, uh, plates fairly well, um, had 3000 yards passing had two 400 yard passing games. So that tells you how much they can do right now, uh, for everything I'm kind of looking up reading, they've got quite a guy, a few guys, uh, battling here, but sophomore quarterback, Nicholas, uh, Vatiato, I think is how you say his name, Vatiato. Um, he's the guy kind of leading the way. Uh, come out as a freshman, he threw for a thousand yards and seven touchdowns, about 67% uh, completion percentage. Uh, he was a all conference USA, all freshman team. Uh, when he started those five games as a freshman, he redshirted last year. Uh, so he kind of comes in as the leader out of the gate. Uh, another guy to kind of keep an eye on is uh, Ren Hefley, a junior college uh, quarterback transfer in. He's competing. And then they got two young guys kind of in the mix as well. Uh, redshirt freshman Kyle Lowe and then DJ Riles. So both of those guys are competing. I think Vatiato ends up winning this job. And again, he's a redshirt sophomore, so he's gonna he's a guy that if he wins his job and plays well, you're gonna get a couple years of production out of him. He just looked pretty good as a freshman, and he comes in. You know, Chase Cunningham's gone, pretty productive guy. I think Viato, uh, he can. I think he can throw for three thousand yards, twenty some touchdowns. A guy could run a little bit uh, in, in a pretty good offense. So he's definitely a guy I want to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, no, I love it. Uh, Cunningham was startable in a pinch last year. Not a, you know, didn't want him to be a QB one, but it was definitely a guy in some of my super deep leagues. Yep. He won this twenty-four team. So in that league, twenty-four team, two quarterback, you're starting Chase Cunningham. Absolutely, and I mean, he had some monster games. He had a couple four hundred yard games. He had a five touchdown game. So you know, getting some of these guys where you get them against, you know, where you really look at the matchup and you're playing against a team that's terrible against the pass. You know, you definitely can look in and say, "Hey, man, this guy's a startable guy this week." Um, yeah. So he's he's my leader there. Uh, the guy I probably like the most on this team is Frank Peasant. Uh, their sophomore running back, 182 carries, 774 yards, nine touchdowns. He's a little bit of a plotter. He's kind of a big run-you-over guy. Um, so I don't know how much you're really going to get out of him other than that. They're going to use some other backs, um, kind of like a change of pace style. But he's definitely a guy that I think, uh, you know, another year under his belt, he can get you 1,000 yards. He can get you double-digit touchdowns. Again, maybe not a guy that – is going to just be a stud and blow you away, but he can give you some solid production in a pinch. Yeah. I didn't realize he was only a sophomore. I mean, that's, that's very interesting. Um, you know, yeah, I, so I sol was... solid numbers as a freshman. So that, I mean, that really, uh, you know, that helps, that helps you kind of talk in and you're like, Oh man, only a sophomore had those kind of numbers as a freshman. I just think, uh, you know, he's a guy who can get bigger, stronger, and like I said, I don't know if you're ever going to see any monster games out of him where he runs for 203 touches, but I could see him giving you a solid 85 to 110 yards and one or two touches a game on a fairly regular basis. I'm into it. That is super useful. So where do you put him on our running back list here? So again, size wise and just for his speed athleticism, I don't think he's a Debbie guy much at all. Uh, mm -hmm. He just is more of a pounder. But if you look at him as far as uh, the running back list you have uh, right now, I would probably say he is. I think he's around here. I don't even know. I was just going to say that. 
Uh, Terrence Gibbs is a guy that's got a shot to do some stuff. He hasn't really produced much yet. There's no, there's no buzz about him. No one's talking about him. That's terrifying coming into yeah. his second year. It, it, I know he was hurt, but like, there's yeah. no like, oh, we're glad Terrence Gibbs is back on the field. None of that. Like, I've been looking. I know. I feel like it's like one of those, like, everybody was kind of looking for him. And then he just hasn't done anything. And now we're like, okay, well, why isn't anyone talking about him? Why is he talking? He's got to be coming back. He's going to be, he's got me nervous. I've got him on a couple of teams. I'm not going to lie. He's got me nervous yeah. that I can't believe that they're not more on him. So I, I actually like, I think you're right there. I put him uh peasant ahead of him just because I think you're going to get solid production out of him. He's a guy I would definitely, you know, I, I'm a couple of leagues where you start like 13. I mean, it's a big starting lineup where, mm-hmm. you know, a guy like that is my fourth or fifth flex play. That's all I'm really looking for. I only need 10 points out of you. 12 yeah, points out of you because I've got he can improve on this. If this turns into exactly. a 100 yard and, and 13 touchdowns, now he's you know an 18 point per game player for you. Absolutely. I, I just I think he I think he's definitely a guy that's gonna like I said, I don't know if he's gonna have any monster 35 point games, but man, again, here's the thing: he's 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 the guy around the goal line. So if they get into the goal line, I could see him with a game with 50 yards and three touchdowns. You know, where they get inside and they just pound the rock inside with him because he he's that guy. All the other guys they have have a little more talent, a little bit quicker, but they're like small, smaller speed backs. And I think they're going to lean on him. I think they're going to give those other guys the ball, change of pace. But I think he's really going to be their guy on the goal line. And I think when they really need yards, I think he's the guy they're going to lean on. Love it. Love it. Uh, so I think wide receivers pretty interesting here now. Or do you want to talk about transfers or any of those guys important? You think? Uh, so they just they had a couple guys transferring. Like I said, they're a little more speed back guys. I'm not. I, I like peasants so much more than them. Um, yeah. I think those the other guys are more change of pace guys. Uh, to tell you the truth, uh, they've got uh, Creed, uh, Jaden Creedle and Romo Webb. Uh, Creedle coming in from Northern Illinois, and then Webb coming in um, from again Coffeyville, Kansas Community College. So those guys are solid. I think Peasant is is guy is the guy to know in that backfield. Now looking at wide receivers, uh, this was a group that you expected to have a pretty solid group coming back uh, off of last year, and then all of a sudden, all these guys either graduated or a bunch of them uh, decided to transfer, and now it's I feel like it's kind of like a wide open. Uh, wide receiver room there for them. Oh, sorry, I lost my spot here as I'm, I'm looking through. I apologize. Uh, but yeah, I did. Like I said, they a couple guys that I thought were really going to be uh, kind of studs for them uh, decided to to get in the transfer portal, and so now things are really wide open. Ah, finally I'm back in my space, uh, my spot here. I apologize about that. Um, but yeah, uh, Jalen Lane was the guy that I was like super high on sophomore. 69 catches, 940 yards, five touchdowns. You know, he was going to be their guy this year. Well, he up and transferred Virginia Tech here in the offseason. So I don't know where he's at as for as far as Virginia Tech on their depth chart. He's a guy had – I mean, I was looking at, hey, he's going to have, you know, 80 catches, 1,000 yards, close to 10 touchdowns. He was a guy I wanted in a pretty good offense. Um, but he – He's transferred now. And so they also lost uh, Isaiah Gathings, 60 catches, 600 yards, two touchdowns last year. They had a bunch of guys, six different players with plus two, 20 catches, almost 300 yards. So they really worked the ball around, but most of those guys are gone. So this wide receiver room is something to keep an eye on is it's pretty wide open. Um, from what I was reading on the spring game, kind of see who, if anybody's kind of step up and, and, and taken, you know, 
the reigns so far they're not saying anybody yet the guys that kind of people were leaning on elijah metcalf is one of the most experienced guys he's kind of at the top of the list um dj england uh chisel He's a guy that's had a little bit of uh, injury uh, problems, but he's got a ton of speed. So he's a guy that they're looking at as a possible uh, uh, candidate. And then Javante Sherman, uh, they're they're looking at he can have a big breakout year uh, with his catchability. But there's a ton of guys in this mix. I mean, they, they've got all kinds of wide receivers out there trying to figure out what they're going to do. Uh, University of South Florida transfer Holden Willis is there. They say he's a big red zone threat. Um, a guy that can and can kind of get, create production. So this one is going to be a toughie as far as like who do you find from this wide receiver group to kind of throw in here because really you're going almost going to have to wait. I there's nobody on this that I really feel good about one way or the other as far as the guy that's going to take the reins. So this is this is a group I'm probably keeping an eye on, and if somebody ends up really being the man and, and kind of stepping up that I probably jump on him and try to pick him up as a waiver wire pick up or keep an eye on him as a, a guy I want to draft next year. If he's a younger guy, but yeah, there's just so much, uh, just so much up in the air with this wide receiver group. Cause, cause really you didn't see much of any of these guys last year. Cause everybody they had is gone. Yeah. So I feel like I want to look for the next Jalen lane. I think he was yep. their slot man, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if any of these guys were the slot. So and then and that's kind of the question is is who's kind of gonna Sherman? go where? I mean, yeah. That, yeah, that that's I mean it sounds like Sherman might be that guy. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, England Chisholm, he's a, a speed guy. They said he's flashed, but he's had some injury concerns. Metcalf, you know, the most experienced, whatever that means. You know, yeah, he's the oldest guy. <laughs> that in the means group. you're old. <laughs> he's the, yeah, he's the oldest guy. In the group. Very experienced. Yes, exactly. So so I, I Javante Sherman was the guy that probably had as far as coming out of the spring was that had the most buzz. And they said the big thing about him was he was, he just was unbelievable at contested catches. They said he was pulling in everything when he was contested. Now, I don't know how much you look at the analytics and contested catch rate. And some people love that stat. Some people hate it. Some people say, Hey, if you're got a high contested catch rates because you're a bad wide receiver and you can't get open and other people are like, Hey, that just seems to me, you can catch the ball with a guy all over you. So it just kind of depends on what you prefer on that. I tend to prefer, Hey, that means even if the guy's covered, he can make catches. So, uh, so yeah, that's college level too. You know what I yeah, mean? Exactly. Like the NFL, we're really worried about it. Wide receiver can separate. Cause you can't like, you just not, I mean, the DBs are so much better than like, mm. what these guys are playing. And it's, you're not gonna. You're not gonna get those. You're not gonna get eighty percent of the fifty-fifty balls mm-hmm. unless you're, you know, it, Mike Evans. It, it, yeah, and I just feel like if you're a college player, if 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 your quarterback trusts you that hey, I'm gonna throw you a fifty-fifty ball and you're gonna come down with it more than fifty percent of the time, I feel like that gives your college quarterback a lot more trust in you. And so that's where you know I'm leaning for a guy like that that they're kind of saying, hey, this guy's kind of breaking out. He looks good. He's making a kind of ton of contentious catches. He's probably the guy I would lean on the most. But again, I really feel like <laughs> this is a murky situation because we just haven't seen hardly any of these guys play. So you know, we just don't have a lot to go off of. Watch list and we move on, right? Yep, yep. I think so. All right, so we got two teams left. Both of them have some interesting pieces, at least. Uh, one of them, arguably for fantasy football, is the crown jewel of this conference, and that would be Western Kentucky, the Hilltoppers. If you like wide receivers and you like fantasy points, you have loved the Hilltoppers for the past three or four years. For sure, just a prolific air raid system. 
Uh, I don't know the coach off the top of my head. I'm sure you do. But uh, dude likes to chuck the ball. Fair to say? Yeah. The, the, the interesting thing for them is they've, they've had a lot of coaches move on, a lot of offensive coordinators move on, go, but they've just kept the system going there. And, and this is one of the things that, to me, makes playing CFF exciting. You can get a school like Western Kentucky that no one's ever talking about normally, and you want players on that team. You actively are going after those guys because the team can put up points and score. And I love it. You know, Bailey Zappi is the guy people know the most of because he's with the Patriots now. Just an unreal career at Western Kentucky. They got those cool silver helmets that everybody loves. So I mean, they <laughs> and they just throw the ball right. And so again, now they've gotten to themselves where in the college football landscape. It's who's the next guy that's going to be there. And now it's almost like it doesn't matter who it is. You're taking it. You're taking that guy. You're taking the quarterback. You're taking the slot wide receiver. It doesn't yeah. even matter what the name on the back of the jersey is. You know the system's going to work, and those guys are going to produce points, and you're taking them no matter what in fantasy drafts. Yeah, and produce they do. Uh, I mean, I I forget. Like last year, I knew Austin Reed had all the hype and he was going to come in. Destroy was him or another guy, right? There's another guy that transferred out, but um, and I knew he was great. But man, until I looked at the numbers, I didn't realize how great. Um, although I do had some te- did have some teams that were you know championship or Super Bowl or you know late playoff run teams with Reed on them. Thirty seven point four points per game. That is just that is Amazing. playing two players in the same slot. That is. You know, if he's in your supplemental draft and you're trying to win on the college side, you are okay taking him in the top 15 or 20 picks if you want to win. Absolutely. If you're if you're a guy, you know, I I'm I really play the middle ground between getting those Debbie guys, the young guys coming up and taking enough of the actual studs to win. Because again, like me, I, I want my college team to be good. I want my NFL team to be good too. But I want to win the college side. I want to win the college side. So, so I, I'm looking at that, and I'm going like, "Hey, man, is that my missing piece?" Like, if I'm looking at my quarterback room, and I'm actually in a league that starts two quarterbacks and a flex, super flex, so you yeah, can actually play three quarterbacks. So, in a league like that, I'm like, "Man, I want a guy like this on my team because I can still go in, draft a Devi QB that's going to put up good numbers." good numbers for me, but I'm going to look to him on my co- on my NFL side. But then I want a guy like Reed and I'm going, this is my MVP of my college team. And I had Frank Harris from um, uh, UTSA last year, my guy. I mean, and this is what Reed is for me. I mean, Frank Harris was a guy. I, I mean, I had CJ Stroud on my team as my number one pick and Frank Harris was my team MVP. So it's, yeah. it, again, on that side, you know, I think this is a guy you want to, if you're a player, if you're looking at your team and you're like, man, I got a lot of Debbie guys. I'm pretty good. I'm like maybe just one absolute stud away on the college side from winning my league. This is a guy I want to go get. And he's a guy I maybe give up a Debbie asset for in a trade. If I got somebody who's just, man, they're not, their team's not very good on the college side. They're probably not going to compete, but they just got all the young stud Debbie guys. Maybe you offer up a Debbie player. For this guy, if he's got him, if he's not going to compete, yeah, your they, second or third round supplemental, yeah. something valuable, yeah, something that they'll take because I mean, you're this is the this is the guy that puts you over the top. Yeah, I love it, man. He was prolific. And, uh, um, six hundred and three attempts, four thousand seven hundred forty six yards, forty touchdowns, eleven interceptions. That is just that was just boatloads plural of production. 
Um, so I mean, he is—he's the CFFB QB one. I mean, I, you just yeah, he's right he's right at like I said, he, he, him and like Frank Harris are like right at the top for me, you know. And I knew you guys haven't got to got to them yet, uh, yeah. going through your stuff, but yeah, he he's right at the top for me. Uh, he's he's an outside Debbie guy because I, again, I think anybody that's in this kind of system is always going to get a look at the NFL level. Now, yeah. do they ever do they ever make it? Do they ever play? Are they just a career backup? I mean, there's a lot of guys that are being career backups, but you know what? I'm going to take a chance on a guy like that. If you're going to give me elite college production and then I'm going to get a shot at maybe making an NFL roster, I'm, I'm in on that. You know what? Bailey Zappi is a couple of good days for him and a couple of bad days for Mac Jones for being an NFL starter. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm with you. I'm definitely throwing him on the list. Um, running back, not – what you want to target at WKU. I mean, last year, no one had over 525 yards. They just, they don't run the ball. They throw the ball. Uh, there's a couple of names there. Marquis Step is coming back. He got, you know, name drops in spring game. Uh, Elijah Young, who transferred from your Missouri. School. Yep. Actually, I actually, I, I actually was excited. I got, I got Elijah Young on, on a couple teams uh, just because yeah. that was a murky Tigers yeah, backfield no, last too. year. I didn't know I didn't know who was going to start there, and again, they're one of those schools that whoever ends up being the starter usually gives you pretty good production. So yeah. I had him on a couple of schools. I actually like this move. He actually is not bad out of the backfield catching the ball. Hasn't had a lot of chances, uh, but what I've seen out of him, he 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 could be solid. So again, I don't think he's going to get a ton of carries just because, like you said, they don't run the ball a lot. But man, if you could get him where he's in that five hundred to seven yard hundred yard range. And then he can figure out how to get some balls out of the backfield and he can put together 35, 40 catches, a couple hundred yards, throw some TDs in there. He could be a playable guy on And again, you want guys on offenses that are going to put up points. And if you could get a guy on offense that puts up points, you know, he's a sneaky guy that I'm guessing most people either don't have, or they did take him last year because they just weren't sure. And he's kind of sitting on your bench. He's a guy that I've got there sitting in my flex, like right behind there going, Hey, this is a guy that could pop off uh, possibly for Western Kentucky. And especially, like I said, you get them where they play some bigger opponents where they have to throw the ball the whole game. Cause they're not going to be able to run the ball. If you, if he can figure out how to catch some passes out of the backfield, he could actually work his way into a pretty playable CFF guy. Yeah, no, I am with you. That's funny. I, I, I knew you would know the name because you're a Mizzou guy, but uh, I don't think even most of the people that come on here that are college football obsessed probably wouldn't know who Young is. I only knew him because uh, whoever the kid was that was before him that's on the Ravens now was just like smash. Uh, yeah, Tyler, Tyler Beatty. Yeah, Taylor Beatty yeah. was just a beast and led the SEC in rushing. I still – I, I know we're going a little off topic here, but he's on the Broncos. He's a sneaky pickup for me on the Broncos. They didn't draft it. anyone. They they're waiting on Javante Williams to come back. Perrine has been solid, but not you know a guy that is taking a huge workload. I I, I like him. He, he's a stash. He's definitely a stash and a long shot. Don't get me wrong there, but man, I got him on taxi squads everywhere. And the big question was who's going to replace him for Mizzou? Young was right in that mix. They end up getting the top D two transfer. Uh, in last year, and he had a monster year. And then they actually got uh, Pete, the transfer from Stanford, who's actually a Columbia kid, grew up in, in Columbia, Missouri. So both those guys came in and just really muddled that backfield. And uh, Young just really couldn't ever figure out a way to to work his way in there. Yeah. So I think it's a good transfer <laughs> for him. It's a, it's a good move. I think he's going to get a shot here. Uh, he's got really good ability. Uh, the question is just, can he fit in? And can he fit in enough where he's CFF worthy? Can you play him somewhere? 
Yeah, right. You know, again, probably a watch list type guy for me. Mm. Wide receiver is a different story. Uh, these are the guys you want. I think Corley is of the people we've gone through so far, probably the CFF wide receiver one. It'd be him or Tory Horton. They're both extraordinarily productive, but Corley actually lost people out of this wide receiver room. So I think there's a world where you see even more concentrated production for him this year. Last year, 22 points per game, 101 receptions. 1,295 yards, 11 toddies. I think he's going to do it again. Um, do you want him before or after Horton in your big board? I, I want him before. Again, this is me. I, I want a guy that's on the stud offensive team. They've just been a better offensive team than Colorado State. So he's he's a guy I think he matches those numbers or exceeds them. So he's, he's ahead of Horton for me uh, as far as CFF goes. Yeah, and I think he's only a sophomore or junior this year, right? He's yeah, young, young guy. You, you got to carry your chain. I always love when you get a couple of years out of those guys on the CFF side. That's mm. uh, that's my favorite. Yeah, so I, I think on that note, too, I mean, young guy already has 1,300-yard season to his name. I'm putting him on my Debbie list. Put him ahead of Ashton Hawkins. I don't think that's bold. Hawkins is kind of like fringe UDFA, you know, day three type guy for me anyways. I think Corley – you know, if he has another season like this and, you know, shows off some athleticism and testing, like he's a guy that could be like a dude in the NFL. I haven't watched his film that much, except just casually watching a game here or there. So I don't really know anything about his traits, but just the profile of being that kind of production. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to project a G5 guy to the next level, that's what you want to see out of him. Uh, I mean, the last Western, the last Western Kentucky superstar receiver didn't, didn't go over that well in the NFL, but Quarterly might very well be different just with the age uh, that he's been able to do this at. Yeah, I think that that's, that looks like a good spot for me on the Debbie side, him at number three. I think he's slightly behind Horton as far as NFL people are concerned, but I definitely like him ahead of Horton on the CFF side. Yeah, nice. And then I think there's an opportunity in this room. Like I said, Daywood Davis gone to the NFL. Jalen Hall graduated. So uh, those guys both had about 800 yards last year. That's a lot of production. I mean, if Reed's going to throw for 4,500 yards again, Corley's going to go for what, 1,400? There's a lot of more production that's got to happen there. There's so. there's a lot. He's got room to improve. I mean, there, there's no saying you got to throw it to other guys. <laughs> so, you know, it's like <laughs> he, there's, there's a chance he just keeps feeding the well and keep going back to him and going back to him and going back to him. So, yeah. Again, those are these are two guys in, in CFF that I, if they're not on a team, I'm grabbing them early. If they are on a team, which they should be, but they, you know, I'm I'm possibly even trading for them because hey, if I can get somebody that's like, uh, I'd rather have more of a Debbie asset. I might trade a younger Debbie guy if I know I can get a guy that's going to put a production and put me over the top and win me the title. Especially if that Debbie guy I'm giving up is. Again, we always talk about this. Debbie, you're looking at it. You're hoping the guy makes it. But there's a lot of guys that are big-time Debbie guys that people love, and they never work out. So, again, if I can maybe give up a, a, a middle-of-the-road Debbie asset and add a guy that can be an absolute stud for my CFFs team, I'm, I'm on that. I am with you. Um, and I'm, I am happy to trade the Debbie asset. Because a lot of guys that play, play these formats – Think a guy, just because we like him and he profiles early on as an NFL player, is a lock to get draft capital and value them as such. Man, I think that is one of the most exploitable edges in this format. I mean, if you sold like a Kayshawn booty 
after his freshman year. He probably would have been crazy to do it because we all thought he was awesome. Film was good. Production was awesome. We thought he looked athletic. Um, but maybe if you sold him after the down year, the sophomore year, uh, you could have got like a first round, you know, dynasty pick. You could have got a productive NFL wide receiver. And now what are you getting for him? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Exactly. Third round, fourth round pick. I, I, I sold a couple shares to him with people that were still in on him when he was kind of starting to hit the, the down slope. Um, but that's a perfect example. I mean, everybody thought he was a can't miss after his freshman year. And now we're, what would he get drafted fifth, sixth round in the NFL? And, yeah. you know, he's going to be fighting, make a roster. Uh, so it, it, again, CFF's a little bit different when you're playing the CFF C2C, you know, league. Sometimes I'd rather take the guy that, He's got a long, way outside shot of making the NFL, but he's going to help me win on the CFF side. I might give up a medium, you know, high end, a medium Debbie pick that might not ever produce. And again, sometimes you get these guys on the big, big schools, you know, they're good players and they put up decent numbers, but they're not great numbers. You know, they get decent draft capital, but it's not like they're putting up. 1400 yards and 15 touchdowns and a hundred catches in college. Some of these guys that go in the second round, you know, they're only catching 60 balls, 70 balls. So you just got to kind of weigh that out and what you want to do as far as your strategy is concerned. Yeah. So I think the name that was relevant for me here and, you know, it, not necessarily this guy, but this guy was the other returning receiver for the most production. He went for 615 and three touchdowns last year. His name's Michael Matheson. If a guy's going to step up, it could well be him. It's interesting enough for me to watch list him. I don't think anyone that's this low on my CFF receivers list is someone I'm really like drafting unless I'm in a, a deep CFF best ball and I'm drafting 40 players deep or something wild like that. You know, maybe I'm throwing some of these guys in because again, this production is going to go somewhere. I can assure you, you know, Corley might go for 1800, which would be bonkers. He ain't going for 3000. So yeah. Someone else on this team is having significant production, even if it's 800, 900, and five touchdowns. That is still relevant production for our purposes for CFF. So Matheson is the name stuck out to me. I'm throwing him in there with my dart throws. Uh, you know, the guy that I hope gets the production at JMU and at Fresno State, right? Like, yep. I think that's, that's a good place to put him in there. But and I then, think the, it's relevant. Like you said, these these are the guys you want to look at late. You know, these are the dart throws you want to take. You know, hey, maybe he hits us. He's the second guy. Maybe he doesn't. But if you're taking him as late as you are probably taking him in most of these drafts, you know, the upside way outweighs, you know, the downside of him possibly doing nothing. So, you know, I, again, I, I don't mind taking a shot on some of these guys because I think, you know, even if they don't hit, it's not going to crush your team. But if they do right. hit – it could make a huge difference on your team. Yeah. What if Corley gets hurt and this guy turns into the wide receiver one for Austin Reed? Like, boom, exactly. that is free money. And it's a differentiator because these are the guys that, like, your league mates are not drafting Michael Matheson, right? Exactly. They're probably not aware of my, you know, if people that are aware of Reed and Corley, if Corley gets hurt, yeah, everyone's going to be on them on waivers. But you can sneak a guy like that on the back end. You had a depleted roster and you got 20 spots of your supplemental because you had drop so many guys you graduated throw him in there and you know 19th 20th spot i mean i guarantee you that if he hits he's gonna hit hard right or at least there's a, a there's a world there's a plausible path to him being substantially relevant for cff so the other guy that i thought was useful here uh, i mean it, you can tell from my barren tight end list 
that we have not found much for tight ends so far in the G5's conferences we scouted. Uh, Dalvin Smith from Western Kentucky went for about 440 yards last year, but he's one of the most senior returning players on the team. He's already been productive. Why not him? Why doesn't that turn mm-hmm. into 600 yards and seven touchdowns? And now he's, you know, a top 30 tight end uh, for CFF. I think it's totally plausible uh, where I am needy at tight end in two tight end leagues, things like that. This is a guy that I'd, I'd love to throw on my roster. Your worst case scenario is he repeats his nine points per game from last year, but your best case scenario is a whole lot better than that. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Because, I mean, you're going to have probably, depending on the league you're in, you're probably going to have half the league is going to get very little production out of their tight ends. Just just all season. They're just probably not going to have a lot of guys on their team putting up points. So you either have a difference maker at tight end or you got a guy, got a guy like this that can end up being a difference maker. You can do something. So I, I, like, I like where your head's at on that. Yeah, interesting for sure. Uh, all right, we got two teams left. We are wildly over. It's oh, been a what's blast. Uh, I know we're good at it. But, uh, but let's, let's knock out, right? I, there's not much to talk about. The last two teams are UTEP and Sam Houston. Sam Houston, I will tell you right now, don't bother. <laughs> I don't mean that to be derogatory to anyone that's from Sam Houston or a fan of the football team, but for fantasy football purposes, I'm just not interested. Moving up from FCS, the host of problems from that, and the quarterback passed for 1,100 yards and six touchdowns last year. No running back rushed for over 500. No wide receiver caught over 550 receiving yards. There was no one I wanted for CFF there, and that made my research a little bit easier. Tonight. A lot easier. I totally agree with you. Yeah, I avoid that team at all costs. No, no reason yes. to look at anybody there. Okay, and then UTEP has had traditionally some guys that are pretty interested. They've had some some productive wide receivers, particularly uh, you know over the past few years. Um, I'll start the quarterback, Gavin Hardison, coming back for another season. He's you know kind of an average G five starter, right? Eight, you know, eighteen ish points per game. Nothing to write home about. You can you know throw him in that third QB slot in a pinch if you need. Uh, I don't think much else to talk about there. Uh, at running back, the returning Dion Hankins, who was an 11 point per game player last year. I don't think he's anything special. And then Reynaldo Flores, who was very interesting to me because it seemed like he was soaking up some of the uh, departed production from who was it, Cowling, that was a superstar at UTEP, right? Jacob Cowling, who transferred to Arizona, right? Um, and 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 if we were looking to fill that void with, with, with someone. Uh, Flores got some of it. Uh, he, he was, I forget if he was a wide receiver. They started playing the running back and vice versa. He was running back. They started putting in the slot. In any instance, he had some great games last year. He's a guy that uh, there's been some buzz about stepping up more. Uh, I didn't catch much about him in the spring game, though. I didn't see his name drop, so I don't know if he was hurt or if my enthusiasm is unfounded, but He's a name that, uh, you know, I've got him on some rosters. I didn't cut him. I think he's useful, 14 points per game. Uh-huh. Upside for more, lost in production here. And then the significant transaction for UTEP for me was their wide receiver one from last year, Tyron Smith, who was phenomenal at the cost you got him at last, last year. He was super, super late. Uh, people weren't on him except for you got some spring game hype kind of late and then potentially as a successor to Cowling, which, in fact, he was – in many ways. So he entered the transfer portal, left, went to AM, 
And then left A&M, and he is coming back home to UTEP. I learned that today. This is why we do these shows. Uh, Tyron Smith is a guy that I'd been just kind of ignoring because I didn't think he was going to do anything in A&M, but he is back at UTEP. Uh, I don't see why he can't exceed his 71,039 seven-touchdown season from last year that was good for 18.5 points per game. I slot him right in for – that same type of production again. Don't think about it. Uh, you're going to be the team leader. Him and Hardison have a connection already. They think he smashes this year. There's still a little bit of <clears throat> uncertainty about him transferring back. I think there's something like he couldn't register until June, but I, I, I just heard he just wasn't in spring practices, right? Like that's it. He's, he's coming back. He's the most talented pass catcher on the team. There was one other name that was brought up in the context of looking the part of the wide receiver one while Tyron was out for spring ball. And I'm going to butcher this name. It's Kelly Akarahi. I'm butchering it. I'm sorry. Sorry, Kelly. I didn't mean to hurt your name, but uh, you know, beat said he looked the part of a true number one receiver. Uh, There's room there possibly for two good receivers. There has been in the past. Uh, No reason it can't happen again. So he's maybe a name to watch list. I'm not putting him on any list right now, but Tyron Smith back at this school. I mean, he slots right in here, right? I mean, Burgess, Hood. I like him more than Ricky Ricky White. I mean, Caleb I agree. Hood. Yep. I like Caleb Hood was like 900 yards last year. A lot of touchdowns. They can put him above Hood too. I I, I agree. I think I think I mean. You could probably above put him Curtis? over bo- both of both of Georgia Southern guys. I think you're I mean, right. Yeah, I think he uh, he's going to be a productive guy. Yeah, him coming back and and if you watch UTEP at all last year, which I'm assuming most people didn't watch them at all, they they actually were a much improved team. They they battled a lot. They played uh, UTSA really tough. Um, so I think they're going to be in some games. I think they're going to be in some shootouts, and I think that you know that obviously doesn't that helps Tyron Smith, uh, especially if they're in some shootouts at wide receivers. So yeah, I like him a lot. Him coming back there, I think is, is a huge move. That's the only big thing with this transfer portal, man. Some of these guys that had big years at some of these smaller schools decided they were going to step up and go to these bigger schools. And they just realized now I'm one of seven or eight guys mm-hmm. in this wide receiver crew, as opposed to me being the guy. Um, so it, it, uh, hopefully everything works out and he's back at UTEP. And if he's, if he's back and on the team and everything's good, uh, he's a guy, like you said, I'm, I'm all over. I think he matches that production fairly easily and he probably exceeds it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially A&M too. Like you're not even going to a prolific passing school. You're going to Jimbo Fisher land. Like, yeah. which well, A&M's improved crazy. last year. Well, yeah, AM's crazy because they actually have a ton of talented wide receivers at that I point love right now. Stewart, man. He's a ball but they just, yeah, they haven't figured out how to get any of those guys the ball. So it's 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 kind of interesting because again, they've got a, a ton of four and five star guys there, but they just they don't throw the ball a lot. They haven't really, you know, Evan Stewart, I think is an absolute stud. I mean, some people still don't know about him because again, AM just is not great at getting their wide receivers involved. So it, it's one of those weird, weird spots where he's definitely, I mean. Even if he would have got on the field at AM, there's no way he put up the production he's going to put up at you. He's not playing ahead of Moose Muhammad. He's not playing against Evan Stewart. What are you doing? Like, the offense is going to go for like 2,800 passing yards. Like, what are you trying to go for 200 yards and go to the NFL? It was just not a great decision for him. I could see if he was like going to a P5 school with a weaker depth chart, but like mm-hmm. passer, like you go to like 
Washington State or something like that. Where Absolutely. Like, you, you could be a guy, you could be a starter. But uh, A&M was just, you know, I'm glad the young man figured it out and, and it went back to where he belongs. Well, you're glad he figures it out earlier rather than later. And he's not in the midseason. He's like, what did I do to myself? What did I like, do? Yeah. 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 Uh, awesome. So, look, I mean, I think we we killed CUSA tonight, JT. We just, we smashed it. We ground it up. We got all the good stuff out. We threw it in a list, you know, for uh, all the people that are out here and now have an awesome big board to cover these three conferences. And we're going to keep adding to this. We're going to put all 11 conferences on this. By the end, we're going to be like 100, 150 names deep, some of these positions. And I love every minute of it. That's what my personal big board looks like. I'm kind of just rebuilding the big board with you guys. Uh, if if you're playing campus to Canton and you're not making your own big board or like finding some way to organize this information, I don't know what you're doing. At that point, you're just drafting off of, you know, someone else's rankings. Like how do you do this stuff without organizing the information so we're doing? We're trying to provide a good tool that's useful for our viewers. This will be up on the Patreon. Uh, if you want to copy it, you want to copy my big board, hit me up. I'll give you a blank one. Uh, mine's on the Patreon already. Uh, for you know, all of our very many subscribers to uh, enjoy and use to dominate their drafts, and uh, and I'm excited about this. This is great, JT. I'm stoked that you came on at JT Orange. He is the man. Tell us about the podcast. What are the podcasts called? Yeah, but you can find oh. me at the uh, the Stew with JT Brew on Dynasty Pros. You jump on their YouTube page. I'm on there. We're just starting to upload all those onto Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So you can, they're slowly but surely all getting on there. I do a little bit of everything. I talk C2C. I talk Debbie. I talk Dynasty Redraft. I talk gambling, over unders. Uh, you know, I a little bit of everything on the on the old pod out there. So go ahead and check us out. Look us up on the Dynasty Pros uh, YouTube page. The Stew with JT Brew. I got all kinds of different guests on there. Thanks for having me on here. Super pumped to talk uh, CFF and C2C. I, I think this is a great idea. I love this big board. I know I'm going to be keeping an eye on it throughout the summer and using it in a bunch of my supplemental drafts. Yeah, I love it, man. Yeah, great. Hopefully it can be of service to you as you have been to us because you brought a ton of value to this. I appreciate everything you brought to the show. Stepping in and putting actual work in as a guest is uh, not a thing I would ask of people, but you're the man. You stepped up and did it. So I can't thank you enough. If you're out here and you made it through this mammoth 90-minute episode on the CUSA, you are clearly from Western Kentucky. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. But if you made it through this, please like, subscribe. And, uh, you know, follow along. We got a ton more content coming out here. Follow Justin. Follow his podcast. And that is it. Debbie Dose out. Enjoy the night, everybody.